Today, what I really wanted to do was kind of pause, and I want to take a break. We're going to just do a, a one-off message, because there's something that I think that personally is really on my heart in, in this season that I think we find ourselves in, in our, our, our nation. Let me just say, how many of you over the last year and a half have uh, just felt that it's been very confusing, very disorienting. You've been, like society, anybody else been feeling like that? You're like, what in the world is going on? I think so. I mean, I, I can't remember a time in my lifetime when society has felt more polarized and more divided over so many issues. The last, the last year and a half has been pretty crazy, hasn't it? I mean, I remember, uh, you know, as the pandemic just began back in, in, in March and having to pivot on a moment's notice and go to online church, you know, which was really funny because we preached this whole, like, two-week thing on technology and reducing the influence of technology in your life. And then the next weekend, we're like, join us on technology. It's the only way you can. <laughs> and I'm so glad to see all your smiling faces back in the seats today. <laughs> But I remember in, in those early days, you know, uh, how, what was it, like the 14 days to stop the, uh, to flatten the curve, right? I, it's hard to remember because, like, what, what are we on, like 520 day now or something? I don't know. It's, it's been a while, right? But, and everybody, like, pulls together and, and everybody comes together. And I remember, like, you guys served in amazing ways with the food bank and volunteered and sewed masks and did all this stuff. And uh, during that time, as we're like looking at this, I'm just trying to figure out like what's going on, like what's the right way to move as you know leading a church. Um, how, how do I, you know, um, lead a people spiritually, um, not give in to fear and yet lead with wisdom, you know, and all those kinds of things. I'm spending hours trying to like investigate and listen to different voices on this. And in the middle of all this, I listen to a couple of these doctors who just like give their alternative opinion on, hey, we don't think this response, the overall response, you know, lockdowns and all this kind of stuff on the pandemic is, is right. And um, I, I turn around and they get yanked off YouTube. I'm like, what? That's crazy. Where are we living? Like, this is crazy, right? And, and just after that, the division just spirals, right? Um, just div divides us. Um, it, it just is incredible. And then, of course, um, at the end of, end of May, we all saw that horrific video. And then all of the racial tension and division and the protests and all of the back and forth. And it was so heartbreaking, all of it, to watch all over this nation. And um, one, of, one of our family uh, friends, my wife, showed me this little Instagram video of this other pastor that, that she shared. I'd never heard of him before, but I thought he had such an amazing kind of take on this. And he said, hey, just my personal opinion, but I think late in 2019, um, Satan, the enemy of our souls, gathered up all his minions and, it, and gathered them up and said, hey, how can we divide people? How can we divide father, you know, against child, mother against daughter, brother against sister, church against church, Christian against Christian, race against race, party against party? How can we bring division? You know, the scriptures tell us that there is an enemy, and the enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy. 
Ephesians teaches us that our battle is, is against, not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I, I'm sorry. I fully believe that there is a spiritual realm at work that is working against us and trying to sow division and strife and whose agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can get between brothers and sisters and believers and family members, he's won. And I know many of you, I've had conversations, some of you, um, have families that, that you have broken relationships. You have people you don't really talk to anymore, brother or sister in Christ, and you, and you did last year. And something, all the tension all the back and forth, all the misunderstanding and all of the confusion and you said something mean or you posted something and they posted something and you fired back and you're in this place now where you have a broken relationship with somebody in your life that wasn't broken before. And I think this is true all over our nation right now. Division. I think it's a very dangerous place to be, and I think the church needs to take a stand. And so today I, I wanted to talk about some things that are very personal uh, to me and also I believe in, in the scriptures, and some of it uh, will be some of my own take on it and my own opinions, and I don't often speak so clearly about some of my own opinions. And if you don't agree, I love you, and that's Okay. But I wanted to give us, I think, several things that hopefully, Lord willing, will help us navigate some of these things personally. And also, as we look at culture and some of the big conversations that are going on today in culture will help us navigate some of these things. And though we may not agree on the other side, Lord willing, we can come out to a place where we're less divided and more united. And so before we dive in, I just want to pray. Father, I just ask today, as, as we present these things, that you would open hearts to hear what you would have for them. Lord, that you would um, let me speak what I'm supposed to and forget what I'm not supposed to. Lord, that you would give us incredible grace for one another and love for one another. And you would give us the ability to see your kingdom and your glory and your honor so so. Um, brightly in our minds, Lord. Speak to us today, we pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to move in this place. Amen. All right. So I've got five things today that I really want to um, communicate to you. And um, I, I think it's five keys that as we, as we try to navigate division, because it's complicated, isn't it? I mean, a lot of the things we're, we're, that, that we're divided over are actually really serious things. I remember um, hearing about, like, when I was growing up, churches dividing over, like, the color of the carpet. I'm like, are you serious? We didn't ask you what color you wanted the carpet. We didn't put in carpet because we love kids and we know they're messy. So we put in this. Right? But there's actually, like, some of the issues are really hard issues that we're, that we're dealing with, whether it comes to, you know, racial tension, um, masks, vaccines, all these kinds of things that have stirred up all these emotions over the last year. And they're, they're difficult things. And they've become very polarizing. And so I've got five different keys that I think will help us as we navigate through this here today. And here's the first one. 
No matter what the conversation, no matter what the discussion, no matter what the issue is, if you're a follower of Jesus, I believe this needs to be true of you. If, If you're following him, you need to keep the gospel primary. We as a church, this is our goal, to keep the gospel primary. We, we have in our values, we, we try to be scripturally serious and responsive to the Holy Spirit. And we have this little um, grid that helps us make decisions. One of those things is, is we believe in doing everything we do with excellence. We want to always be a church that's approachable, that you can come in here, that you can invite your friends to. And we always want to be gospel-focused, that the gospel, the heart of the gospel informs every decision we make, everything, the way we teach, everything we do. We want to be focused on the gospel. Paul said this in Acts 20, 24. He said, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, this is what life is all about. I want to testify to the gospel that if I don't fulfill my mission, if I don't do the thing God gave me to do, which is to keep the gospel primary, which is above all the other, all the other issues, to keep the gospel at the top, which is why in other spots he says, hey, to the Jew I became a Jew, to the Greek I became a Greek, right? I, I, I gave up some of my own preferences and ideas in different areas in order to further the gospel. The gospel is primary. We got to keep the gospel primary. And I think there's two different traps in church when it comes to um, frequently engaging in hot button cultural issues. And this kind of informs why we don't frequently do this. Although sometimes, um, you know, if you've been coming for a while, if you're new here and this is your your first time, you're like, wow, he's pretty intense. Um, I'm sorry. We almost never, you can ask your friends, like, uh, you know, almost always never, we, we just preach through the Bible and apply it to our lives pretty mellow most of the time. <laughs> I'm a little fired up today. And if you want to really hear me fired up, you can come to Saturday service, because that's, if you're like a person that likes the director's cut, <laughs> before, before, you know, um, some of the other pastors are like, you should probably tone that one down just a little bit, you know. Hey, but I think there's a couple church traps in the church, and, and one of them is this, like, we either, because issues in society or culture are so confusing and we don't know how to deal with them, we just completely avoid talking about them. And so there's all this stuff that's erupting in the culture and we kind of come in here and faith becomes almost more of a devotional faith where it's your own personal faith and praying to God, but we don't speak or connect our faith to the big issues that, cultures are ta- that culture is talking about, right? So that's one trap. And I think that's a trap because pretty soon either your faith really just sort of becomes a personal private thing that's really not relevant to the rest of your life and you tend to disconnect it from the rest of your life and it's more of a devotional faith. And I think a lot of churches do that. And then the other trap around churches is you become an activist church where everything's about a social cause, no matter you know whether that's a, you know, a, a left-leaning or a right-leaning cause, whatever. Everything becomes about a social cause or um, engaging in a cultural cause, and um, the conversation becomes that, and the gospel gets lost. The primacy of the gospel gets lost, and it's a distraction from the primary thing God's calling us to do, which is to make disciples. 
And yet it's important to engage in cultural issues. And so it's a hard thing to balance, and it's a hard thing. And just so you know, this is something I struggle with personally as a leader is to know how to balance these things because there's things I'm very passionate about personally that I don't always share because I feel like I'm going to alienate these 30 people, right? The, the other side of that is a lot of times we don't deal with um, hot button topics, not because we don't have strong convictions or want to take a stand on them, um, but it's because I don't have time. If I have 30 seconds to mention an issue and take a stand, all I'm going to do is alienate 50 of you over here. And the reason is because it's a very nuanced conversation. One of the reasons why social media is such a difficult place to try to um, change anybody's heart or mind on, have you noticed that? And it usually just leads to division. It's because it's very hard to have a nuanced conversation. This is one of the reasons why long-form audio is getting so popular, because you can sit down and have a two- or three-hour discussion about something and hear somebody's heart and go back and forth and prevent and present point and counterpoint, and at least hopefully come to the end of it. And even if you don't agree, um, there's some rapport built between two people. And so I love listening to long podcasts and stuff, and I do a lot of that because it humanizes the issue that we're facing, right? And so a lot of times we don't touch on it just because I'm like, I got 30 seconds, and all it's going to do is bring up a bunch of questions that I don't have time to get into in this message. So I'd rather hold an issue and wait until we can address it in a more comprehensive fashion, right? And so Paul says the gospel, it's all about the gospel. And the gospel isn't just believe on Jesus so you go to heaven when you die. Salvation is the entry point. But the gospel is a lot bigger than that. The gospel, if you go through all the, you know, the, the four accounts of Jesus' life, is that Jesus came, God in the flesh, and he came and he lived a perfect life to, to give his life as a sacrifice for everyone so that we all could become part of his family. But not just that, because he, at the cross and at the resurrection, he conquered the power of the enemy and sin and death. And when he came, he, he brought, he initiated the kingdom of God and said, go out and make disciples and the kingdom of God continues to grow wherever people submit their lives to Jesus as their king. And one day when he returns gloriously, and ah, I pray it, it could be soon. I don't know. It could be soon. We will see his glorious kingdom and experience it. It will come in fullness. And we'll spend eternity with him, an eternity. And I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts this. Um, for, for those of you that are parts of the follower, followers of Jesus, any readers out there you like to read? He says, yeah, eternity, the way he describes it, because we think of it not like just clouds and robes, little halos, like the caricature. No, he says this is going to be like eternity is going to be like a book where every chapter just keeps getting better and better, and it never ends. Isn't that awesome? You know the way you feel when you finish a book, and you're like, it's over. So good. Or for those of you that aren't readers, when you binge watch a whole Netflix show, and you get to the end, and you're like, now what do I do? It's like a sense of loss, isn't it? Is it just me and my wife or anybody else there, too? You're like... We have to find a new show. 
It's very traumatic. That's why Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, because right now as we live our lives and submit our lives to Jesus as our king, we're living for the sake of the gospel. So that's the first thing. Keep the gospel primary. In all, in all the, the conversations, keep the gospel primary. The second thing is this. Be united in love. Be united in love. Did you know Jesus prayed for you and for me? He prayed for us. He said, I pray for them. As he's speaking in John chapter 17, he said, I pray for them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. He goes on to say this, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. See, the, the experience actually in the same past uh, group of chapters where Jesus is talking, he, he tells you, hey, um, in this world, you will have trouble. And I know we've gotten to this point where being a Christian is a pretty comfortable thing to do in our society. And I'm just saying, as our society moves farther and farther away from God, I, I think it's going to be harder and harder to follow Jesus truly as a disciple. I pray that's not so. I pray that revival comes and he awakens hearts all over this nation and many come to him and give their lives to him and submit their lives to him as him as king. But he did. He said, in this world, you'll have trouble, right? And he says, hey, you're going to be hated by some just, just for following me. He goes on in 20, verse 20. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and that's me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Unity. See, the thing that bonds us, this idea of Christian unity, isn't that we all agree on everything or that we come together and we all have like the same way of thinking about all the issues and everything or even, um, you know, some issues of theology we, we differ on. We have a saying around here, um, I, and I say it, it's like smarter people than me have been disagreeing about this for thousands of years. And so when it comes to some theological uh, nuances, like certain things in end times theology or, um, you know, like Calvinism or these big things that the church has argued about for years and years, I have an opinion. I'll share it. But I also will, will say, hey, um, but smarter people than me have argued about this for thousands of years. And that's a way of saying that, that, that we allow um, grace around those areas for each other and don't claim we have all the answers. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Now, that's true in life. It doesn't mean we agree with each other on every single issue or every single thing we're facing. But it means that there's a bond between us that goes deeper than the things that divide us. That our loyalty to Jesus and to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ is a deeper loyalty than to party or to nation or to group, affinity group, right? or even ethnicity, that the primary thing is our allegiance to Jesus. See, we are citizens. Paul says you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's the primary thing. It's like you have dual citizenship. 
And your primary citizenship is in heaven, is in the kingdom of God, and your brothers and sisters in Christ are your peeps. And it's not that the other stuff isn't important. It doesn't have its place. It does. And you value those things, and you work hard to come to positions that you feel like line up with Scripture and all of that, and what you're supposed to do as a, you know, as a responsible citizen as you look at Scripture and all of that. But what it means is our primary, the thing that unites us should be bigger than the thing that divides us. That's what unity in Jesus means. And it doesn't mean we always just, you know, get along all the time and, you know, kind of bring it in for a group hug or a group now these days fist bump, right? Group six foot fist bump. But what it does mean is that, that I love you as a brother, as a sister in Jesus, and you don't have to agree with me about things. I mean, hey, there's some things that we hold as essentials when it comes to believing firmly and truly and only in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And then there's some things where like, you know what, there's some, some room around those things. But there's something that binds us together. I, I love this. I, I, I worked in missions um, around the world. I've, I've had the privilege to work in Africa and in um, Mexico and Thailand, um, those areas um, next to Myanmar, going to Myanmar, to be in different areas all around the world, to travel all over Europe and meet all sorts of different people. And the, the gr- best thing about that is this Christian bond of unity. It's, it's meeting all these people. It's, I love the worship services we would have where, like, it was a little small sampling of what you see in Revelation where every tongue, every tribe, every nation is gathered together, every race coming together, worshiping our king, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Singing, worthy is the lamb. It's this awesome. I love that. In fact, when I first went to my... Um, my DTS, Discipleship Training School with Youth with a Mission, my roommate, uh, my bunkmate was uh, from Sweden. And uh, great guy. We just really connected. I mean, just amazing guy. Loved Jesus so much. And I remember as we were kind of talking about some other things, um, he couldn't believe, you know, I'm from Western Colorado, grew up, born, raised, right? In Western Colorado, we kind of like our firearms, don't we? Come on. Can I hear an amen out there? I know you're out there. And this guy from Sweden's like, he just couldn't like fathom the fact that like all, so many of you have, have guns. But you know what? And some of you maybe agree. You're like, I can't either, you know. And the rest of you are like, America, right? <laughs> you know who you are. But the, the beautiful thing about that was that it didn't matter. We had a unity in Jesus that superseded those things. And I think that, that, is, the, that is something that we, we need to hold so true and so dear as we have conversations and, and, and not divide over things that aren't essential, right? Not divide. Jesus said this, um, after taking up the basin and the towel and, and serving his disciples, washing their feet, something that no respectable person in the society would do. He looked at him and he said this. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. 
Not by the fact that you go to this church or not by the fact that you have a, a bumper sticker, a Christian t-shirt. The way that you're supposed to be known, the identifier, the badge, is supposed to be your love for your brothers and sisters. That there should be something magnetic. It doesn't mean we all get together and agree on everything, right? It, it doesn't. Sometimes we disagree, but it means that love leads the way. And in our disagreements, there's love that that's the first thing people experience. They experience love when we disagree over, over issues. We disagree over politics. When we disagree over cultural issues we're facing, love leads the way. Man, if we could get this in our interactions with people and with each other in the community, I think it would be magnetic. I think it would draw so many people to Jesus because we don't always do a very good job of this as believers. We fail at this very often. We often allow our anger or our angst over something to rise up and allow us to lash out in a way that's not loving and not kind. Like I said, love doesn't mean we agree on everything. I mean, because a lot of people's idea of unity and loving one another is just like, let's bring it in, group hug, and we don't talk about anything important because we know we'll disagree, and so let's just not never bring it up and just hug it out. Jesus' version of love is grace and truth. Jesus' version of love is, neither do I condemn you, now go and sin no more. 100% grace, 100% truth, not 50-50. We like to think of it that way. Because you're like, okay, you do yourself on the scale. Like, honestly, most of you are like 80-20, one way or the other, right? You're either like all love or all truth, and the all truth, you're like, right? This is the right way. And the all love or something, like, let's just hug it out, right? I love you. And we never talk about anything. That's not it. It's grace and truth that we meet each other. But let me tell you, we better lead with the grace part like Jesus did. Neither do I condemn you. Otherwise, nobody's going to hear the rest of what you say. If you don't lead with love, it divides, and, and it, it divides Christians and brothers and sisters and families. Love for one another means when we're offended, because we are, we blow it, right? We're all fallen, sinful people, and we blow it. We say mean things. We lash out. We respond in anger. You know this if you have in, in, anyone you associate with on a regular basis, Right? It's our human nature. But here's what, law, here's what leading with love means is that you go to the one you've offended. Or if you've been hurt, you go and have the conversation. Had a wonderful conversation earlier this year with, with someone I dearly love, a family I dearly love in the church regarding some things, regarding all the crazy cultural stuff, um, pandemic stuff we've been through over the last year. And what I loved about that is she had the courage to come and talk about it. And even though we may not agree when we, on specifics of how we're doing things, you know what? We know we love each other, and that comes first. It's so important, Christians, let's not divide. Let's not divide over things like, like masks or vaccines. I should be careful. We're live streaming this. I want to be careful. It doesn't get pulled. Right? 
let's not let some of these big cultural things come between us in a way that it divides. doesn't mean we all have to agree, but it means we lead with, with love. The, uh, part of what that means, I think, too, is that you don't get on social media and trash or impugn the character of people that disagree with you. There's a way to politely and honorably present your opinions and views on a subject without making it a personal attack on, or on this other group of people, without othering other people. I think this is so important. I, I watched this great exchange uh, this week between someone, a uh, very educated person I highly respect, and this other person on some of these kinds of issues. And the back and forth was factual and polite and kind and informative. I'm like, that's it. That's how you disagree on things in a way that doesn't dishonor people or impugn people. That's how we maintain unity. Third thing is this. Believe the best about one another. Believe the best about one another. Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking about the nature of love. Here's what he said. Love is patient. Now, we, we usually only read the scripture like, I don't preach it very often. So a lot of you are like, oh, yeah, that, that's the wedding scripture. No, this is how we interact. You know, most of the New Testament is full of phrases called one anothering. And these are how we act as we one another, as we, as we one another each other. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know what I think it means when it says you believe all things? I think it means around certain issues when it comes to forgiveness. You know how Jesus says you forgive. You forgive. 70 times 7. How many times should I forgive? Counting them down. 7? No. How about 70 times 7? What's the point? Stop counting. That there's a certain, you believe the best about someone else's motives and, and characters, particularly your brothers and sisters in Christ. This doesn't mean you're completely gullible because there's certain times in abusive relationships, you know, physically, uh, there's, there's certain times where you're like, whoa, you have pr proven and demonstrated to me that your motives are not good, are not pure and right. But unless proven otherwise, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that your motives in this, I may not agree with your positions in this, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that your motives are not evil or wrong or hateful but that you have a good heart. I think that's such an important thing in our society right now as we see all this division and all this strife is to, to remember this. We're going to believe the best about one another. Believe the best about one another. I mean, in all the tension of the last years, you're you know, trying to listen and empathize um, as people struggle through racial issues and, and hear the pain people are feeling and then also hear the pain that, like, the law enforcement community is, is feeling because it's like, I know awesome law enforcement. We got a ton of great law enforcement with great hearts that are in it for the right reason. 
I don't impugn the other person's character. I understand I believe the best about them, right? When it comes to one of the big issues in the, in the culture today, the, the V word. Let me just say, here's what I know. Based, just based on conversations here and there, my guess, that a congregation like ours pretty much mirrors the, the community. And so on this issue, people are probably split about 50-50 or so. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. We will never discriminate or coerce or pressure around this issue. But here's what I know. If you decided, hey, this is what I want to do, here's why you did it. You believed, you, you had a good heart. You believed this is the best decision. You did your research. You listened to doctors. You said, this is the, the best decision for me and for my family and for the good of society. And I, and I say, you did that with good motives, right? You had a good heart. And here, here's an area that I see I think is very dangerous in our culture right now because this is just spinning out of control. And this is the narrative that for those, the other 50%, that said, no, I don't think so. The narrative is like, yeah, you're either ignorant or selfish or, or, or not willing to do something for the good of humanity. And I believe, because I know, so, I know some of you, that's a false narrative. You also made the choice you did because you did your research and you, you watched some other doctors or talked to your doctor. And you decided, I, I'm not going to do this at this time. And you did it for the good of your family and yourself. And according to some highly regarded scientists, many highly regarded scientists around the world, um, possibly even for the good of humanity. Believe the best about one another. I think this is such a critical, vital thing in this time of polarization. Unless proven otherwise, we assume the other person has good motives. Doesn't mean you have to agree with the position. But assume your brother and sister in Christ has good motives behind what they're choosing to do. And part of that, I think, part of believing the best about one another is seeking to understand each other. And this is something that I'm, I'm really worried about in our culture today. And I know this is controversial. But over this whole thing, I spent hours and hours listening to voices on this thing and hearing world-class doctors and um, epidemiologists from all over the world. There's this whole declaration of thousands upon thousands. I mean, they've got tens of thousands of, of high medical professionals and top epidemiologists saying, man, our whole worldwide strategy against this thing has been dead wrong. It's called the Great Barrington Declaration. I mean, these are world-class people, leaders in their fields. And as I looked at this, I'm like, whoa, there's a narrative that's dominant, but there is not a consensus on this issue, right? And seeking to understand, um, hey, maybe you know something I don't. And this side is saying this thing. I mean, I, I have personally have friends, doctors, that some believe, man, this, this is exactly what you need to do. Um, and others say, no, I don't think you should do this. 
And so understanding, like seeking to understand, there's a narrative, but there's not a consensus around this specific issue. I think it's so important as we see a lot of the division that's happening in our culture today because of that. And then the censorship that's happening and doctors that are speaking out against uh, uh, the dominant narrative being threatened and coerced and afraid to speak out because of losing medical licenses and things. My opinion, this is my opinion, that should never happen in the United States. That should never have the censorship everywhere that we're seeing. And if you haven't been following it, um, I'm, maybe you're better off, right? <laughs> you're like, no, I'm actually not tenser at all. You know, I'm just kind of going with the flow. I'm, I'm very happy for you. Then you can feel some of my pain and empathize with me a little bit and move on with your life. That's fine. This is something that I feel very passionate about when you look at it. Because if you look at history, number one, censorship never works. Like in cultures that try to censor free speech and different opinions and opinions that don't fit the narrative, number one, it it never works. It just drives it underground. And it makes the people um, more suspicious that you're hiding something. So if if you think you're telling the truth about an issue, the worst thing you can do is censor the other side. Bring it all out in the open, have honest scientific debate and everything, right? That, that, that's the other thing. It never works, and it just creates division and suspicion, right? But further, like when it comes to issues like science, the, the phrase the science is settled, that, that no. It's the point of science is you're always challenging presuppositions, and it should be open to this like free exchange of ideas, And this is a very dangerous thing I see happening in our culture today, where doctors um, and famous scientists are being persecuted, censored, or afraid to speak out. And I think it's people should, I think personally, this is one of the biggest issues to me in, in all this stuff as I've watched it over the last year and a half, because it never ends in a good place, never, never goes to a good place. I have friends, um, I know a ton of people, you know, and a lot of people are like, yeah, we went down this route, fine, great. I personally know other people that have had the opposite experience and very serious, and I've heard some first, second-hand stories of very serious complications. And so these are not, these are things that we have to understand when we're discussing them. These are hard issues. And they're things we should give each other grace and believe the best about each other. See, I, I watched the CNN commentator make this, like, cra- I think crazy statement. You may agree with it, and that's fine. I love you. He's like, I don't think, you know, people that haven't had the V word, I don't think they should even be allowed, like, in supermarkets. And I'm like, do you know where the, the rhetoric, that kind of rhetoric leads? Anytime you other a, a group of people, anytime you paint another group as other and paint them as a lower status or as untouchable, and I know there's, there's all kinds of complicated issues here, and those are the nuanced conversations, right? But societally, anytime you other another group of people, In a society, it never ends well. That's the lesson of history. 
And most of the atrocities of the last hundred years began with a, with a group of people being singled out and othered, whether that was on racial um, basis or on basis of beliefs. In the last century, I mean, we think, oh, this is ancient history. No. Within the last hundred years, um, totalitarian communism uh, murdered 100 million. That's a hard number to wrap your mind around, right? 14,000 in Tiananmen Square in 1989. Um, all over various countries. Of course, we know. You know what happened in the Holocaust, which began by othering another group of people, several groups of people, trade unions, Jews, different groups. And I just think it's a very dangerous thing when we begin to have cultural dialogue that does not believe the best about each other. That you may not agree with somebody else's position on an issue, but to impute them and impute their character is so dangerous, and I think for a Christian, so wrong. We need to learn how to have, have civil, kind disagreements in a way that... Um, that honor each other. And that brings me to the fourth point. This, that's this, honor individual freedom and conscience. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is arguing because at that point in church history, Gentiles were coming in. They were the others. In fact, later on, Paul will go on to say, hey, in Christ, there's no Jew, nor Greek, nor, nor slave, nor free. And this was a big deal in the time. No male or female. In other words, we're all on an equal platform at the foot of Christ. The gospel is the great equalizer. And it was a revolutionary thought at that time in history, and it revolutionized the Roman Empire, and it revolutionized the world. It's, it's why we're here today. But when he was talking to believers about how do you work out all these polarizing issues, because in the early church there were polarizing issues regarding Jews and Gentiles mingling uh, that were probably every bit as polarizing as many of the things that we struggle with and face today. And Paul says in Romans 14, he says, as it comes to all these different things, honor each other's freedom of conscience. He said this, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And there's a, a freedom of conscience that you see talked about in Scripture. A freedom to say, hey, we don't agree on everything. Um, we don't eat this stuff. We don't live this way. We don't, we don't do those because Jews had a ton of health things, right? And the Gentiles didn't. And we don't, we don't like, agree on all this stuff. But we're going to come together because the gospel unifies us. And we're going to come together and we're going to love Jesus and serve Jesus together. The gospel is the great leveler and unifier. I mean, this was revolutionary in history, if you understand this. And see, this is rooted, Paul's statements are rooted, Paul knew this, the Old Testament scriptures better than anything, and it's rooted all the way back, you know, to Exodus and Leviticus, where you see God give the law, and we preached all the way through the book of Exodus, amazing conversations in there, right? And some of the things in, in Exodus were like, everyone has rights. Even the groups in other nations that didn't have rights, servants, outsiders, Women at this point in history, right? Everyone has rights, and the, the law is above the king. There's no king that's above the law that can come in and rob you of your individual rights. This is a scriptural principle. 
And you see it play out all the way through it, throughout Scripture. And here's what you see. When they just said, hey, we want a king because all the nations around us want a king. God says, no, you don't want a king. I'm your king, and I gave you the law. And they said, no, we want a king. And he says, okay, you're not going to like it. And the kings came, and they abused the people, and they led them into idolatry and ultimately into exile, just like God said. And see, the point, and this is what the founders of our nation picked up on, when they understood that all humans are equal before God and stand on an equal platform and are given by God inalienable rights. They understood that your rights don't come because the government says you have your rights. Your rights come to you because God has given you innate rights as a human being. And I think this is such an important time in this time in our culture, in our history. As you see some of this rhetoric that's coming out right now, and and this week, uh, kind of a tipping point for me, just to be honest for you, because I've been studying all this stuff and spending hours over the last uh, year and a half, and over the last week, the federal government and many corporations are moving towards a platform of mandates and coercion and against individual freedom. This is an issue I'm personally passionate about, and I believe, and you can disagree with me, and I love you, but I challenge you to, to go... Search us out in the scriptures. I believe that the, the individual, the right of the in, individual and the sovereignty of the individual should not ever be violated when it comes to some of these decisions, like medical decisions. I believe it with all my heart. Make your decision. Do what you think is best. Talk to your doctors, all that. But I think you have a right given from God to make those decisions. For yourself, I don't believe society. And see, here's what, what you see all over the world. Whenever a top-down authoritarian kind of rule has come into play, it, it never ends well. It begins with othering another group of people, coercing another group of people, and it almost always ends in history with violent force being used to enforce whatever that top-down thing. And the, and the problem is it almost always starts with a seemingly good cause. Go look at the history of communism, even, even Nazism, right? It's seemingly a good cause for the nation or for the betterment of humanity or for the public health or for the safety of others. And it never ends well. And so I challenge you to think through those things, and I would just say this is a personal note. If, if you feel passionately about some of these things, man, now is the time to speak up. Now is the time to, to write some letters to Congress and and, and write some letters to your governor and, and express your opinion and get on the phone with some of your local leaders. I believe, you know, being involved, I, I've written more letters in the last year than I think I, I ever did in my whole life. And they were uncomfortable because I don't like being out there. You guys know I almost never talk about things like this, do I? But I just felt like compelled, like there's something that God says, you need to get involved. You need to begin taking action. And so I believe honoring individual freedom of conscience is, is such an important thing to remember. Pray. Personally, what do you do? You pray. You research. You make the best decision you feel like for your family. You stand your ground. I, I think you don't bow to pressure if you have a strong belief or conviction and thankfully, in this United States where we have our Constitution, in whatever field or profession you're in, you have a right to a strong uh, moral, religious 
viewpoint. And you can hold strong with that. You don't, you don't have to bow if, if that's what where your heart's at. If you want more information on that, reach out to me. And here's the final thing is this. Do for one what you wish you could do for many. And here's the thing. I've seen this. Like so many of us just sit back and get frustrated and scroll through Facebook and watch the news or whatever and just feel like, but you never do anything, right? You just feel frustrated because you're like, what do I do? I'm just one voice. Let me tell you what you do. You look for in your circle what God's placed the passion on your heart, and you do for the one what you wish you could do for the many. There's one person over there struggling. I did something I've never done before. I randomly, I I was watching a a live stream from a thing on Facebook here here locally regarding some of these issues, and um, I saw this gal post this question that basically said, what about me? And I reached out to her. (laughs) And I said, hey, I will advocate personally for you. Never met you. And I said, and if you, you know, I will tell you about religious exemptions and some of these things that you need to know about. I will personally advocate because I have a strong passion for this area. And I got to meet with her and her family. And and she said this was an answer to prayer. And you know what? It felt really good to help one. I may, I, I may not be able to influence the many, the government. But if there's an issue, and I don't care what it is. This is just an issue I'm personally passionate about. You may not be, and that's fine. You may not agree with me, and that's fine. I love you. This is an issue I'm personally passionate about. But there's an issue that you're personally passionate about. There's something in your life that you see it, and you're like, that should not be. Maybe that's homelessness. Maybe that's an issue in a school, and you're like, what do I do? And Well, maybe it's just like get involved in the PTA. I don't know. Maybe there's an issue that you just see something. We call this a holy discontent, whereas you pray about it. It's like God just keeps laying it on your heart, and you're like, I, I should do something. And there's a frustration within you because you're not doing anything about the thing he's placed on your heart. We have wonderful people in this congregation that have ran for um, positions, um, leadership positions, and serve in them because God placed a holy discontent in their heart to make a difference, and they're making a difference. Or they're running right now, and that's their heart, to make a difference. But maybe it's not that. Maybe for you, it's just helping that one other person. And you've got somebody in your life, somebody younger, maybe it's the purple guitar. You don't have a purple guitar. You have a brown guitar. If it's a Martin, you could pass that on to me. I would be very thankful for that. And I'll pass my guitar on to a young person. Just kidding. I'll hook you up with a good youth to pass that on to. But maybe it's something like that, you know? That's how, you know, when God puts something on your heart, the key is that you follow through because so many times that's the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's just having that conversation, praying for that person, inviting somebody to church. I don't know. I don't know what God's putting on your heart. But the question is, will you respond? Will you do it? Will you you be obedient in that area? Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, 
as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's his call to us. That's his followers. You're called to do good to all people, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is there one person in your life that you're like, you know what, I, I could make a difference in that person's life. I could mentor them. I could serve in this area I've been feeling God tugging at my heart on. Do, do for one what you wish you could do for many. I'm going to invite Winston back up. We're going to close in a song. And let me just say, because we keep the gospel primary here at this church, we're not going to become the church that's always about cultural issues. Because I know we disagree on some of these things. And some, there, there will be times when I feel compelled to speak into issues. And I think the division we're seeing in our society today and that is about ready to happen because of what's rolling out in our society today. We need Christians united more than ever before. And to speak peace and calm and kindness and reason into our culture. Um, one of the ways I'm going to start becoming a little more active and more proactive, but because I don't want to make church about these issues, um, I'm starting a blog that will be my musings as I study these doctors and epidemiologists. I'm going to share some things. Some of it will be counter the dominant narrative, um, things you may not have seen, things that I've been frustrated scrolling and like pent up for a year now. So I'm just warning you, if that's interesting to you, why don't you grab a blue card? Give me either your, your, your uh, email. Just write Tim's list. Give me either your email or your, your telephone number if you want to text. And just, I don't know. It'll, I'm not very good at this stuff. It'll probably be like every three months. But hopefully, maybe a couple times a week. I don't know. I'm, I'm just starting this. As I'm doing some of this stuff, I, I feel like that's how I'm called to engage because I don't want to make church about this stuff. We're focused on the gospel, right? But I, there's been, a, like, a, like I said, a tipping point where personally, however difficult it is for me, I feel like in this time in our culture, I need to use whatever platform God's given me to, to engage. And so if that's you, I'd subscribe to that. I'd love to get you some of that information if you're interested about these things, some of the things I mentioned here today. Be united in love. Believe the best about one another. Honor individual freedom and choice. And do for one what you wish you could do for many. Maybe God's speaking to you specifically on one of those issues here today. Would you stand? I just want to close with this. Many of you, I think, may be in a place, and my wife um, brought this up, and she sent me the scripture. I'm like, that's really good. My wife's very insightful. Many of you may be in a place where um, where you're like, uh, I just feel so tired. I just feel beat up. I feel like this thing's been so hard this last year. All the division. Maybe not. Maybe everything's great. And I, that, wonderful if that's you. Or if you're just like, no, I'm just trusting Jesus. I am so glad. But others of you, you're just tired. You find yourself in a place where you don't know what to do. 
You have so many questions. You have more questions than you have answers. Maybe the scripture's for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my burden, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And as we finish by worshiping, maybe that's the thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart right now and in your life, is to lighten that heavy load you're carrying. So I just want to invite you as we worship, and we're going to sing this song that says, Come, Lord Jesus. It sings about the time when we will experience the fullness of his kingdom and the strife will be done away with. And in the meantime, we call out to him for refreshing. If that's you, I just want to invite you as you sing this, stretch your hands out to him and as we worship. Let's worship him. You know, last night I, I felt there were some in the room, and I'm guessing that might be for today as well, um, that you have a relationship in your life that you need to go and make right. That some of this stuff over the last year has destroyed a relationship. And as far as you are able, you need to live at peace with your brother or sister or your family mother, member. So I would encourage you, if that's you, to go do that. I'm going to pray for you, Father. Thank you so much for my friends here. I am so thankful for such a wonderful group of people that loves you and loves each other. And I pray as we face issues where we may or may not agree together, that we would be united in you, that we would lead with love. Thank you so much, Lord. Grace, blessing, wisdom over them. In Jesus' name, amen.